Hello, and welcome to this edition of People in Transition. I'm your host, Bob Gerst. I've been hiring and mentoring executives, frontline employees, and job seekers for nearly 40 years through a host of transitions, some difficult, but most very good. This experience has given me a bird's eye view on a variety of trends, economies, industry disruptors, and transitions, big and small. It also brought me into contact with the thought leaders and decision makers you need to meet. Imagine knowing exactly what to do next and how to know it's time to make your big job change. We all know transitions can be scary, but it doesn't have to be. And it's even fun when you have actionable strategies and proven tactics to achieve the future you want. We'll share with you the tools and skills that can take your dreams to your next great job. So if change is on your horizon, you won't want to miss this discussion. Also, please subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss any future episodes. Brad Hill, thank you so much for being with us on this episode of People in Transition. I've been looking forward to this recording for some time now to talk about your job search. Well, Bob, thanks. I'm glad I finally had the opportunity to be a guest on your podcast. Thanks for having me today. Brad, one of the questions that I always am curious about for each of my guests is, you know, what was it that you had in mind when you were a young child that you wanted to be someday when you grew up? Well, Bob, I know it's um, it's an example people use quite a bit, but I, I remember being little sitting in my grandparents' living room watching television with them and probably on the floor sitting next to my grandpa. And I just remember Ronald Reagan coming on TV and, you know, it wasn't his personal brand of politics or anything like that, but I just, I remember thinking this person seems important and I got the sense that they were doing some sort of public service. And so I wouldn't say I necessarily wanted to be the president, but I think from an early age, I was really interested in public service. And my, my grandfather and my father and some uncles were all either in the state or county or municipal government. So I was drawn to, to public service in general pretty early in life. And Brad, what were the transition moments that you went through as your life progressed from that vision of yourself as a public service person to where you're at today? I think going back to kind of ancient history, when I was 19, I joined the Marine Corps and I was an Arabic linguist and a cryptologist. And um, that was just prior to 9-11 happening. And so that was just a wild transition for everybody in the world, but particularly for me, because as I approached the end of my enlistment, I had to decide if I wanted to re-enlist or, or go to college. I decided to go to college and I left the Marine Corps. So there was one transition to civilian life. And then I became a federal contractor for a small company in Northern Virginia, which was growing. And they were really concerned with retention of quality employees to, to grow their portfolio. I stayed with them about three or four years. I transitioned again to become a federal civilian of the intelligence community. And I worked on a variety of portfolios in the Middle East and Afghanistan for about another five years. I had an opportunity to transition to be a congressional liaison. And I, it was a highly competitive process to represent the agency I was working for. 
They were looking for an intelligence officer to speak the, the language of analysts, but also be able to perform properly and represent the agency on Capitol Hill. And so I transitioned to that job. Everything was going well. I was enjoying that. And then in 2012, my father became quite ill. He was diagnosed with really aggressive melanoma, stage four. And so it really put me kind of dead in my tracks in terms of the career path I was on. And I decided to, to move home to Washington State. I took the first job I could find that was a federal job because I was interested in continuing with my federal career and the benefits of the pension. I did a very kind of hard 90 degree turn and started working for USDA here in my hometown of, of Yakima, Washington. So back in the Northwest. So I, I moved back from DC. Uh, I did that for 10 years. Long story short, I got uh, I became burnout with my last position. And then I, I decided to quit my job entirely, which kind of breaks the cardinal rule of don't quit a job until you have another. But I felt that the stage of burnout I allowed myself to get to, I really had to refocus on my health and I didn't feel confident that I could land in the right place without completely being focused on kind of rehabilitating my mental and physical health and, and the job search. I'm happy to say I was hired to do a new position. I'm with the federal government again after a separation of about eight or nine months. I currently work for the Department of Health and Human Services. So you kind of touched on this, Brad, just a bit, but let's uh, go a little bit deeper in it. Your transition this last time was very deliberate. You didn't get fired. You didn't get laid off. You didn't get asked to, to leave. Talk about that process of the decision-making to quit your federal employment. What did that look like in your head? I led a team of people that I was really committed to. I, I worked with them for 10 years. I'd been their leader as a director of a work unit running operations, you know, really had my hands in it with these people. It was a real change management process where where we had to really transform our work unit from top to bottom to to succeed and quite frankly, to survive. And so I, I felt a lot of loyalty to the process we'd been through and to continue leading them into the future. But I had taken on probably more than I could handle and, and just didn't know it. I was strong-headed and egotistical enough to think that I was incapable of burnout. I, I, I didn't know it at the time, but looking back, I, I think that was part of the problem. I was also a local municipal elected official, which isn't the biggest deal, but it, it does take quite a bit of time when you add on all of the tertiary committees and boards you have to be on. And then I had some personal crises in my life. I went through a divorce. Obviously, we all lived through the pandemic. So that threw me for a loop, trying to hold everything together, keep the city, which I was elected to represent through that crisis, as well as my federal position and the work so hard to turn around. And so it just got to a point where my sleep was affected. I remember seeing an article and there was a picture of a, at the top of the article of someone in bed with the covers up to their chin and their eyes were kind of bugged out and they just looked tense and they were gritting their teeth and it said the seven signs of burnout. And I read the seven signs of burnout and I think I had every single one of them. So I had been on a vacation. I really couldn't get away from work even while I was on vacation, despite leaving someone else in charge. The trip did not go well. I was obviously stressed out. I think my family could see it. And they approached me and said, you know, we're concerned about your level of stress. We're concerned about your happiness. We're concerned about your health. And not that I needed their permission, but I felt that was the turning point that kind of where the light bulb went off and realized that 
this was no longer an internal problem and it was starting to affect people that I cared about. So uh, I, I felt their support. And I think that was the, the really the key thing is I felt their support to make a change. I told them what it would take for me to do that. I knew that I wouldn't be serious about finding the right landing spot and, and the next challenge and dialing it in and staying focused while doing this really intense job. So um, I said, you think the best thing for me to do is to quit entirely and to evaluate if I want to stay with public or private or nonprofit employment and really determine what I want to do and, and just start fresh. Fortunately, I had the financial resources to, to uh, kind of sit it out for six or eight months. And that was my transition. That's how I got to the, the, to the beginning of the transition. So Brad, you kind of broke the cardinal rule of never quitting a job until you have an, another job. How did you come to that decision? It's stepping off into the clouds. And did you ever second guess that decision? Yeah, I let me answer the first part of the question before I, I want to run right into the second part. But I think what happened, Bob, is I did not see the warning signs of burnout until I was out of gas completely. And to anyone that's listening and thinks they might be in burnout, I really encourage them to you know, talk to somebody, whether it be a professional or their family or a peer or mentor. But uh, I had to quit. I didn't really have a choice. I got to a point where I was sleeping two to three hours a night. I was just was kind of in denial about the limits of what I could really perform at. And so I felt I had no choice but just to completely pull myself out of the job and get my sleep schedule and my workout schedule and everything really just holistically in my personal life healthy and then in short order moved out to try to find a job. And the second part of that question, did you ever question yourself and the wisdom of doing that? I kind of did, but I really had a lot of support from my family and friends. And Bob, you were my mentor. I'm fortunate that I know you in professional life and, and know you personally to some extent. And so I was familiar with people in transition. I'd listened to many of your podcasts and I knew that, as you say, I think the gremlins that keep you up at night, the doubt that creeps in when you're all by yourself or when you're at a low point. I was just really, uh, I had a heightened awareness that I couldn't let that happen. So I was really on the lookout for self-doubt and I knew that it really didn't serve much of a purpose. So I think when it comes to self-doubt, maybe going to that point in your mind for a few minutes, some people may need to go there for a few hours, but to get out of it as soon as possible, because it's really not productive. And I'm glad that I was kind of already listening to your podcast, because really, other than your podcast, I, I really didn't think much of transition. I, I thought I would stay at the job I was at for you know another 10 years. And so, Brad, how do you think your transition was different somehow from others that you've heard about either on my podcast or just people that you've met in your work life? I think you know, most of the people that I come in contact with are not federal employees. They work for private businesses. They're a little unfamiliar with federal employment. And so I think the traditional approach I've seen of using your network to get a job. It didn't work quite as well for me because quite frankly, the only way to get a federal job, the, the primary approach to getting a federal job is to apply through a website, usajobs.gov, and you have to build a resume and you have to 
cross your T's, dot your I's. You have to submit it, and then you start this waiting game. And I don't think it's a secret that it takes a while in the federal government to complete a hiring action. In my case, it was the better part of a year from start to finish from when I first applied to when I uh, started the job. So I know that networking is valuable, but for me, everyone in my network was in the agency that I was leaving. And so I really didn't have a, a network of federal employees and employers and peers that served me well when I wanted to change to a different agency. Uh, however, I think that the networking helped because I did evaluate who I could call that I knew that I felt cared about me and would give me candid advice about what I was good at and what I'm not good at, where I provide value in their life. And that was really helpful. And I think it also, I think that networking also helped me because I was isolated. I was at home. I was sitting in my TV room slash home office and reaching out to all these people. And not a single one of them was upset that I called, put off that I called. They didn't seem annoyed. They made time for me and it really helped keep my motivation up. Brad, on average, how much time each week did you spend on the job search? I know there were some weeks more, some weeks less, but give kind of a picture of what a typical search week would look like for you. Well, I think the I think the brass tacks of, of the answer that I'm ready to provide is is probably about 20 hours a week of hardcore, serious uh, applying for jobs or interviews or scouring websites for for opportunities. But that doesn't mean the rest of the time was unstructured. I would get up no later than 7 a.m. Usually when I was working, I'd get up around five. I was trying to get my sleep schedule back in shape, but part of that is having a routine, getting up on time. So I'd start the day then, I would work out. I might settle into my chair and start thinking about what actions I need to take that day at my desk to find a job. That might last four hours, maybe loosely from 10 o'clock till about two or three o'clock. And I'd take a lunch and I'd take a little break, but I would really try to stay engaged with that until about four four o'clock and then after that it was my time and i certainly did have weeks where i got a little lost because i had all this time off i had all these airline miles that i'd never had the time to use before i had friends that lived in hawaii and i couldn't see a reason not to go other than of course i need to find a job and i thought well there's plenty of time for that but the problem with that is i really you know you go to hawaii for a week and you come back and it's hard to get your feet back under you and get back on the horse uh it was surprisingly harder than i thought it would be I'm curious, you decided to re-enter the federal employment rather than going into private industry. Talk about the thought process that you went through to get you to re-enter that federal employment versus the private industry. Well, I'm going to summarize it up front and then go into the details because I'm afraid I'll get too far on a tangent if I don't. So first and foremost, it, it's familiarity. I understand the federal government. I've been in it for 20 years. I understand the language. I understand pay scales. I understand cultures to some extent of different agencies and departments. Pay and benefits was a big deal. I, I looked around at what I felt I was qualified to do. And I felt that there were a lot of industry-specific credentials that I'd need to get that would take time to get for me to just jump right into private industry at the range of pay and responsibility and opportunity that, that I was looking for. And then lastly, it kind of played into that whole, it, it's, it's a little difficult sometimes to leave government and succinctly describe 
what you do that's of value to some of the niche industries. I live in the Yakima Valley, really big into agriculture. I didn't feel that I had any technical knowledge of agriculture, and I felt that I'd really have to kind of maybe start, maybe not at the bottom, but definitely in the middle. And uh, I won't go into it, but there's some aerospace industries and plastics and some other manufacturing and industrial um, industries here. And I just really was not a good fit. And I didn't feel an aversion to going back to the federal government. I was kind of just out there trying to sense, get a sense of what was out there and not ruling anything out. So when I did re-enter the federal government after being out for eight months, I was really comfortable with that. I was really concerned at 43 years old that if I didn't take the time to make sure I wanted to stay, I might regret it. I mean, I'm I'm back with the federal government. I did not make a change, but I took a good, long, hard look at other professions, and and I allowed my myself the the time and space to do it by resigning from my position. And I certainly needed a job, so it was a kind of a nuclear option to to quit my job. But again, I didn't really think I had a, a lot of other options by the time I hit burnout, and it it really turned out well to step back and evaluate all my options. Brad, what was the lowest point or the scariest point that you got to as a part of your transition? I think that one, I had to sort through, do I want to go to USA Jobs and Scour and look through federal jobs all day? Or do I want to go to Indeed or work by network or a little bit of of all of them? And I was doing all three and um, I was, I had a schedule that was tight that kept me organized, but I, I really, I felt that I did not want to move from the Yakima Valley and to achieve that most of the jobs that I was looking at um, to come into a new industry, I I wasn't going to be able to go fully remote and the opportunities here in the Yakima Valley, I I pretty much exhausted those. I went through a, a few interviews. And so to answer your question about the scariest part, when I really felt like I wasn't gaining any traction in the first few months, that caused me some concern. I was getting some interviews in private industry I did receive a few job offers, but they really were like at a 30 or 40% uh, cut in my pay. And that just wasn't realistic for me. So I thought, okay, I've assessed the options outside of the federal government. I'm going to go back to just hardcore applying for federal positions. And I felt that by that point, I'd been unemployed already about three months. So I had planned to be unemployed for about six months. And by the time I was reemployed, it was almost eight months exactly. So it just, the process took longer for me than I thought it would. And a lot of that is because the federal hiring process just takes longer. It's not like private industry where you can call someone for an interview on Monday and they could be working for you, you know, two weeks later. Brad, did you learn anything about yourself during your transition? I did. I learned that I'm easily distracted. I learned that I, I think I'll be a good retiree one day. I There's a million things around my house that could keep me busy, and I really had some avoidance issues. Uh, there was nothing more critical than me finding a job and and making sure that it, it was a healthy fit considering the, what I had just been through. So I was kind of surprised how much self-discipline it took when I had so much time every day. It was hard for me not to goof off and it was hard for me to, to just sit down and, and do the job search. And that's why I think, as you've said and many of your other guests have said, uh, you, you can't just sit there and look for jobs eight hours a day. It, it wears you down. You kind of just get to the point where you're grinding your gears. And, you know, it's important to stay healthy in terms of your mind and physicality. And 
And, you know, I was able to take a break and it, it really, it was just hard for me to some days to just sit down and do the four hours of dedicated job search. And that was a surprise to me. Brad, did you do any self-development while you were looking for a job? I did. I went to the Project Management Institute and pursued a PMP certification. Turns out I really didn't need it for the jobs that I ended up getting, but I thought it was important. I had been a program manager and a project manager, but without that certification uh, within the federal government, I really didn't need it. I kind of just matured into the role. But uh, I did that. Uh, I did a lot of reading. I really thought about the golden opportunity I had to rebuild my life as I saw fit, the relationships that I wanted to have, the boards and committees and community responsibilities I wanted to be involved with, fitness, spirituality. It was a unique opportunity. And I realized that at 43 years old, the next opportunity to have that much time to myself might be when I'm retired in you know, my mid-60s. Brad, was there anything in your job search, whether it was looking for a federal job or a private sector job, that didn't work as well? Uh, Well, to answer that question, I'm going to start with what did work well. So again, I said, as a federal employee, the only way I was really going to get a job was through a website. And I think for most people, that is not a good approach. I think for most people, sitting down and banging out applications doesn't work. And for the private industry jobs and even some of the nonprofit jobs here locally, I received interviews for those jobs by working my network. And I oftentimes found out about the opportunities that somebody was leaving as the president of this or a director position was coming open here locally through my network. Well, it's kind of the opposite of of what I think most people go through. I did have to spend a lot of time just applying and looking for jobs. But I think the caveat is that's the federal government and that's just a necessary part and a, a difference between pursuing public employment versus private employment. Brad, were there any books or other resources that you used to help you during your transition? Well, first and foremost, and Bob, I'm not trying to flatter you or anything like that, but the truth of of the matter is that having a mentor and a peer that is dedicated to, you know, holding you accountable and checking in with you was really, really critical for me. And I remember a point when I had been in the job search for a few months and Bob, I met with you maybe once a week. It wasn't a long meeting, but you said, Brad, I want you to stop what you're doing and hear me very clearly. You need to stay in this and stay motivated because you're a valuable professional and you are needed in the marketplace and in the professional space. And I'm probably screwing that up, but maybe not verbatim. But that was really important to me at the time that you told me that. So I think having that supportive peer and mentor is key. I would really encourage somebody that's going through a transition like mine to make sure that you have a lifeline, a voice of reason, and somebody who's not going through this emotional process that you're going through. Someone that has secure employment, that's been through a transition, that can kind of ground you. And then in terms of books, I think The First 90 Days is a really good book. I think it's important. That book um, helps me decide going into the new job, how I want to perform, maybe some habits or behaviors that I want to leave behind, and building the right patterns to be successful in those first 90 days on the job. There's a book named Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willenick and Leif Babin. I think Extreme Ownership is uh, excellent. I 
particularly for government workers or people seeking public service careers, because so often there's a lack of ownership in jobs where there where there's a, a fair amount of bureaucracy. I also enjoyed the comfort crisis. I think that that to make sure that I continue to push boundaries and get in that zone of discomfort while I was looking for a job. And then again, once I'm back in the saddle at a job and I've, I've learned it to just not become complacent and continue with professional development. And then lastly, actually, Bob, you had recommended to me the 20 minute networking meeting, and that was life changing. It's such a simple book. It takes maybe a few hours to read if you just sit down and, and read it back to back. It really made me a lot more comfortable networking with people and maybe understand the importance of it. And then once I just did what the book said and tried a few networking meetings, it went quite smoothly. And uh, I had never paid any attention to a professional network before because Again, being a federal employee, it's like, well, it's a comfy, secure job. I'll apply for a job when I'm ready. I, I never expected myself to be completely exited from employment and out of the federal government without a job and needing a network. And so in the future, I'm you know, definitely going to maintain that network. And that book not only shows me the importance of it while looking for a job, but you know, obviously you want to build and maintain that network when you don't really need it so critically while you are gainfully employed. Brad, if our listeners remember only three things from our discussion today, what are the three things that you want them to take away? You really, if you don't believe in yourself, you're just not going to do well in a transition. Um, negative self-talk, terrible. I think it's important. I'm a realist and I'm pragmatic. When you're in a transition or, or when you're without a job, it's not the best time to let your self-esteem issues really take over. Also, just persistence. It's, you have to be dedicated to that grind. You know, in my case, I did 140 applications, and many of them were federal jobs, but a lot of them weren't. And in concert with that, I did make sure I talked to at least five people a week that were in my network. And I really could have done a lot more than that. And so I think the combination of listing all the professional and personal contacts that I have in my life and making a point to call them and tell them I'm in a transition and tell them specifically what I'm looking for. I'm not wasting their time, being succinct. That's important. And then I think in my case in particular, I had a lot of repetitive, just sit down at a computer and I had to keep doing applications and searching for jobs and submitting all the required documents. And I think I interviewed at the end of the process with that persistence. I had seven or eight job offers, one from the state. I had two from private industry. And then I think in the end, I had five or six federal positions that were offered to me. And so through that persistence and making sure I sat down and grinded out that process, I ended up really getting a, a great job. I'm really happy in my new position. Brad, I was so proud of you throughout the time that you were looking for the position. You were oftentimes a textbook story, both to the good and when you went a little bit off the rails, but you always came back to the right direction. I'm sure that anyone that listens to you is going to get a great deal of guidance and motivation in terms of there is a positive light uh, out there. Thank you, Brad, so much. You're welcome, Bob. Thanks for your help through my transition. Thanks for having me today. Thank you for listening. We're working in unprecedented times. The purpose of these episodes is to give you the support and critical tools to adjust with the changing marketplace. I'll continue to introduce you to guests 
who have successfully survived their own obstacle course and can share useful information. If today's message was helpful to you, please share it on your social media. Your review and rating helps get this to more people. Also, if you have questions or podcast ideas for future conversations, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Change is constant. The more prepared you are for it, the better and easier the change will occur. Thank you again. This is your host, Bob Gerst. See you at our next episode.